electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Uber ready to turn its first profit. Almost. CEO Dara Khosra Shahi. We're running ahead of our path to profitability. We have a really strong balance sheet, and we have plenty of other investments as well. So we have time to be patient here. Martha Stewart's new online marketplace. All the good things in one place to shop. You will not only be able to buy, but you'll be able to learn. We have wonderful, wonderful ideas for the homemaker, the gardener, the entertainer. Those stories and a September swoon for the markets, trying to contain worry that a debt-ridden Chinese real estate developer is too big to fail for the world and for China. Role in it. In the earlier days, a lot of people thought that President Xi could potentially be a reformer. But then,、uh, very quickly over the years, it became more and more evident that he wanted to have more state intervention. It's Tuesday, nine twenty-one twenty-one. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you buy in three, two, one, kill three. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and let's talk some more about the markets after stocks plunged yesterday. The Dow closed down by 614 points. That was its worst one-day drop since July, but that was way off the lows. There was a rally right into the close. We had been down almost a thousand points until the last 15 or 20 minutes of trading. The S&P 500 down 1.7 percent for its worst day since May 12. At its intraday low, though, it pulled back 5 percent from its record high. Right now, after the close, it currently sits at 4.1 percent from that record. The S&P and Dow 1.7 percent. S&P 1.78 percent yesterday. So keep it in perspective. Those you know, pullback, but it's、uh, a pullback. The question is, is it a larger sentiment push、uh, pullback? Since September first, VIX was up pretty significantly, like thirty percent yesterday. So fear was out there. September first, it's felt a little bit different, and you know, and right when Alarian said, "I guarantee you that the momentum is going to continue higher because every dip's being bought," that's when it started wavering on whether the dip does get bought. But so far, it did get bought, didn't it? Yeah. I'm glad to be here.、Uh, it was barely inter- interesting today. <laughs> What、uh, happened? Harrowing, harrowing on the way here. I have a tunnel between where I live and where this, and, and it's、yes. amazing that, that this that it never happens because there's it's a it's a tunnel and you know so there's like major police activity and and I read that and it's you know what I told Andrew what I just said now I said you know you guys got some stuff to check out take your time it's under a river. It's under a river that's like you know,、right. a, a, like a couple of miles. That's not. Don't really, cut but, any corners. In no, other words, check、yeah. it out. Check it out. You got some things you're looking at that you want to just make sure of. Go right、um, answer, officer. Yeah, don't mind me. I can wait. Andrew and Becky can handle.、It. Just you know, fix any. To see a leak. I was thinking because we were talking about it before. It is Sylvester Stallone, but I thought it was、oh, Mel Gibson for a while. Bring, I didn't know. No, no, don't even bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know why I had Mel Gibson in my mind.、Uh, I lived、Sylvester、in Hoboken、Stallone、when that movie the... came out, and that was、yep. you know stuff of nightmares at that point because I was <laughs> going to the toilet. 
claustrophobic enough and the fans because of all the exhaust and everything. And uh, but but you definitely I love the NYP. I do. I love first response. I love all those guys. Yes. And if they tell me just hold off for a second, it's like, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> good or idea. Ma'am. I trust Who's you guys. Telling me? Right. Then I ran up here, too. I got out. That was even I, I will that say, might have been because more of that in such good shape. Movie. You weren't winked or anything. <laughs> no, but we, we usually go around. But. You know, and that's where I was truly in. <laughs> Not really. It was fine. It was fine. I stepped over a couple of things, you know, a couple. Uh, so I will tell you, because of that movie, I, I still to this day when I drive through the tunnel, you know, there's the line, the, the demarcation line between New York and New Jersey. And I constantly wait to see when I see that line so that I know if something happens, if I know I need to yell, run backwards or forwards. Where yeah. are you closer? And, and then you know what I need to do once I get here. There's really only one thing I need to do. What's that? Hair. Oh, I mean, the that's makeup not what is... I was thinking. <laughs> Makeup and make is, it there in time? Makeup is superfluous, it, you know, gilding a lily. It, you know, it either doesn't help or it, it right. doesn't help enough, one or the other. But the hair, the hair, the hair. Did you get sun is yesterday it? or is that just from running this morning? What's that? Uh, it might have been from running. <laughs> but when you do the hair with the Velcro. Yeah, with the, it, I mean, it's easy if you don't look at where the tag It's like a shirt. Have you ever worn a shirt for a while and you realize, oh, my God, it's inside out? Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> House Democrats say they're going to be uh, trying to pass a bill that both prevents a government shutdown and suspends the U.S. debt limit until the end of the new year. This is an attempt to avert two possible crises in one move. Now, Congress facing a September 30th deadline to fund the federal government. Separately, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has now telling lawmakers that the U.S. will likely not be able to pay its bills sometime in October if Congress does not suspend or raise the debt ceiling. And by the way, that's on top of every, all the wrangling that's taking place for both the infrastructure bill, whether that's going to get voted on by the 27th, as Nancy Pelosi had promised uh, those, those, uh, the Democrats who had come to her, the moderate Democrats. Um, and while you try and figure out if there's enough support for the three and a half trillion dollar bill and based on the comments out of both Kristen Sinema, Joe Manchin, a lot in question on that. I, 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 I it looks like it's going to be a much tougher needle to thread, and we will see a lot of this between all of those issues, uh, the back and forth in Congress. The Dow Industrial Average had its worst day in months Monday. Stocks slumping on a few bad headlines. The Fed meets this week and could possibly ease its extraordinary pandemic-era support of the economy, the debt limit looming over Congress, and fears that a liquidity crisis at a Chinese property developer could send ripples across the global economy. Evergrande is one of China's biggest real estate developers, and it may not be able to repay its debts, which add up to about $300 billion. It also turned to its employees, demanding that those who wanted to keep their bonuses give Evergrande a short-term loan. And then the company stopped paying back those loans, which were packaged as investments. Employees and homeowners awaiting unfinished apartments and Evergrande buildings protested last week in China. Evergrande faces a debt payment on offshore bonds Thursday. Some investors are calling this a Lehman Brothers moment. Real estate has been a huge boon to the growth of the Chinese economy. And if Evergrande and other companies in this hot sector can't pay back the money they borrowed, investors who hold their bonds could see heavy losses. What do people do to offset losses? try to raise money in other ways, maybe selling off other investments and heating up the contagion. 
this is likely to be contained by the Chinese government before Evergrande is a spark that ignites the banking sector. But it highlights a key moment for Chinese leadership and attention to how they step in. Here is hedge funder Jim Chanos, a bear on investing in China, on CNBC yesterday. We don't think it's systemic to the Western financial markets. We do think it is, 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 there are two things you can draw from the Evergrande episode. Number one, it highlights the fragility of the Chinese economic model. And number two, uh, their response to it. And how in Xi's China, where we are seeing a different change in tone in the way that the government is treating business, business leaders, Western investors, how will they handle a bailout that everybody still thinks is coming in some way, shape, or form? Yunus Yun joins us from Beijing with the latest on that. Yunus, good morning or evening. Good morning, Becky. Well, <laughs> and good morning to you. Evergrande faces some key deadlines uh, when the company has to make interest rate payments or interest payments on uh, bonds, or it could risk default. The company's chairman is trying to convince staff as well as investors that the company will survive. In a letter uh, to the staff for the mid-autumn festival holiday, the chairman said that Evergrande will walk out of its darkest moment very soon and resume full-scale construction of its property projects as soon as possible. However, he failed to say exactly how the company plans to do that. Uh, S&P said it doesn't believe a rescue would come in the form of uh, uh, direct government support. The ratings agency said that it only sees Beijing stepping in if there is a, quote, far-reaching contagion causing multiple major developers to fail and posing systemic risk to the economy. Now, other property developers today uh, made several statements to try to reassure investors that that wasn't going to happen. For example, the co-founders of mid-sized firm RNF said that they are going to inject $1 billion of their own capital into the company. That starts Tuesday. And that they sold their property management business to rival Country Garden. Other property developers, a lot of these small uh, companies, announced share purchases or bond redemptions. Again, all in an effort, Becky, to try to make sure that people feel somewhat reassured that there isn't going to be a liquidity problem. And of course, all of this has been exaggerated because over the past couple of days and into tomorrow as well, the markets either here or in Hong Kong are closed for this holiday. And Eunice, I mean, this is interesting because the talk had been about how it didn't look like the government there was going to step in and, and offer support in, unless it was for areas that they really cared about, maybe workers who were losing their jobs or average investors who were losing either their homes or their savings on some of these things. These are moves by the private market there to try and shore up investor confidence. Is, is that kind of a new phenomenon, a very different thing? Um, I don't think it was, would be a new one. And also, um, there isn't any um, evidence that the government itself isn't trying to encourage some of these statements. That's what so, I was going to ask. Um, Is this the government people think doing that support? Kind of, yeah, behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, behind the scenes. Right. It's it's difficult to say, uh, but uh, we do uh, know that the government has been encouraging some of the banks to, uh, or at least t telling some of the banks that maybe they shouldn't expect to uh, get some of these payments for a while and to, to encourage uh uh, rollovers of some of these these uh, debt um, obligations. Uh, so, so the government, you know, does play a role in the in the private sector to try to make some of these things happen. Uh, we just don't know exactly to what extent at this point. You know, uh, Eunice, Becky, uh, Andrew, that's interesting. I thought this this piece in the journal might be in the op op ed section about what 
the journal's take on what she is trying to do to return it to a, a Mao Zedong right. type. And I don't know whether you saw it, uh, Eunice, but it, it's on the front page of the journal. Uh, and it, it's according to people, they had a lot of discussions with people that are involved in, in policy there and that are involved in, in trying to analyze President Xi's uh, thinking, and it's really kind of, I don't know whether it's disturbing or, or what, but it, it, China has entered a new stage of development. This is, uh, she said this in a speech, the goal is to build China into a modern socialist power. Kind of like the same goal that Democrats have right now, I think, in this country. Not completely. I think it's a little different, Joe. <laughs> no, but this is, uh, this kind of is... It, it's almost as if they got far enough along the capitalist uh, you know, road to where they started saying, wait a minute, there's going to be other things that go along with this if we don't. Why? And we're going to lose control in other areas, and we're probably blacked out now over there, Eunice. But it's almost like they got to that point and said, hold on here. We need to... You know, we need to move slowly. Yeah, they're just in the earlier days, a lot of people thought that President Xi could potentially be a reformer. Uh, but then uh, very quickly over the years, we started to see that uh, it became more and more evident that um, that he wanted to have more state intervention in a lot of different parts of the economy. And now it's just become much more open that there's been a concern about the private sector and the role that it plays um, in various ways, um, that maybe there isn't enough control um, by, the, by the Communist Party, that uh, you could have a lot of influence. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, <laughs> no, so there is, you know, there is a lot of uh, concern. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Eunice. Next on Squawk Pod, regulators getting in between you and your delivery? No way, says Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi on delivering profits and your food. We have grown through the pandemic in partnership with our restaurant partners. Restaurant partners who've engaged with Uber Eats have had a much higher chance of success. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. The next story on today's podcast, calling Uber. In an 8K filing with the SEC today, the ride-hailing app revised its financial outlook for the third quarter. For the first time in its 12-year history, it might, might be profitable. In July and August, Uber reached a measure of adjusted profitability, and it believes it's headed for a break-even quarter this quarter, 
and adjusted earnings next quarter. It might not sound like a big deal, but Lyft already hit this milestone earlier this year, and Uber has been under pressure to turn a profit. After going public in 2019, it's delivered loss after loss, quarter after quarter. To be clear, Uber and Lyft aren't about to share groundbreaking profits. They're pointing to signals in their financials that they're getting closer to net profits. The pandemic has been tough for these companies. Demand shortages, labor shortages, layoffs, and selling off their self-driving ventures. For Uber, food delivery has picked up the ride-sharing slack, at least for now. DoorDash, a much younger company that focuses exclusively on delivery, surpassed Uber in market cap just last week. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin, kicking it off with Uber CEO Dara Khosr Shahi. I don't know if you remember. I remember very well the day of the IPO sitting outside of the New York Stock Exchange. I said to you, when are you going to reach profitability? This was the question. For us, the path to profitability isn't theoretical. There are cohorts of countries that are profitable, and it's about getting other cohorts of countries to the same maturity level that some of our countries are operating at. We do reinvest profits aggressively in new business lines like Eats that have great promise, but we're pretty comfortable when we look at the portfolio of businesses that we have, that we have a very strong path to profitability. And here we are sitting together now, and who would have thought it would have happened in the midst of what is still, uh, to some degree, an ongoing pandemic? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how the world changes, but I think the really great thing about Uber is the flexibility of the model. And actually, here we stay, here we are, still in somewhat of a pandemic, and our gross bookings levels are 35 to 40% above the IPO. Uh, and we are very clearly on the path to profitability. So super proud of the team for what they've accomplished, but we got a lot of work. Okay, ahead so, of us. But explain what's happened here, because obviously this is ahead of, ahead, of, ahead of plan, or at least ahead of plan after plan, yes. given what's happened in the world. Well, what we did was early on, we identified our need to bring on more drivers to the platform. So in the second quarter, we really leaned into supply, especially in the United States, to reinvigorate our driver base and grow our driver base in the U.S. And we're seeing that now, the benefits of that early investment in Q3, the business in terms of volumes, we had our best week ever uh, last week. The service in general, surge levels are coming down. ETAs are at their best uh, levels since the beginning of the years. The service itself is getting better. It's still not where we want it to be. Uh, and as a result, margins are coming to what they have right. been on a historical basis, both on the right side and on the eat side, actually. The core eats business, we believe, in Q3 is going to be close to break even or profitable. And we have, when we have both our rides business uh, uh, performing at really right. high levels and our eats business performing, how, you get to a good place. How much of a function in terms of that margin is a function right now of surge pricing? You know. It, during the commercial break before we, we joined, I said, I joked, not so much, though, that, you know, when I get an Uber, I almost have to, you know, mortgage my home because of the, the, the surge. And sometimes it's extraordinary. It's two, three times what you think it would normally be. So how much of that is representative of the, of the margin and what happens over time when hopefully you get back to a normalized? So surge pricing isn't about margin. Surge pricing is about balancing supply and demand. Right. When we surge, the driver typically gets their fair share of the surge. 
So it's about making sure that in areas where we got more demand than supply, we attract drivers to those areas so that surge pricing goes down. And we're seeing now surge pricing essentially at its lowest level since May and moving down as well. We're not where we want to be. Uh, but the margin situation is just much more because supply and demand are much more imbalanced now. Uh, really, in the past two weeks, we've seen we've actually signed up 5% more drivers onto the platform. So the flow of drivers onto the platform is quite positive because the earnings opportunities now are pretty extraordinary. You right. can earn 35 bucks an hour completely flexibly, working whenever, wherever you want. So that's a pretty that attractive proposition. So $35 an hour today, how does that compare to let's say 24 months ago, what would a driver have made then? Uh, it depends on where they're driving, right. but it is elevated. It's probably 20, 30% above where it has been historically. Uh, and I think it's a real question mark as to what the cost of labor is going to be going forward. Right. I think the good news is that our system is showing that it can adjust one way or the other. It can operate in a high cost labor market as we are now. Uh, and we're delivering best weeks ever. Right. In a lower-cost labor market, prices come down and the system adjusts. But in terms of just pure volume, what do you think that starts to look like over the next 12 months? Does that actually expand rapidly, or does that actually uh, sort of sustain at a sort of solid, you know, steady state? So volumes actually, for us, for example, last week in the U.S. was our best volume week since March. Okay. Uh, so volumes are, are improving as well. I do think what we'll see is Pricing is going to ease up as we go into the back half of the year, and volume will especially accelerate. On the eats on the eats side, volumes continue at very very high levels, and that's translating into really good profitability for eats. Right. Uh, eats question. I don't know if you saw DoorDash getting into the alcohol business. You're in the alcohol business through through the Drizzly transaction. How does that change the dynamic? Well, actually, it's not a surprise that DoorDash has followed us into alcohol. We've actually. At Uber Eats, we have alcohol available in 23 countries. Right. Uh, it's up 245% on a year-on-year basis. And it's just a great category. Really, the categories that we're going after are fast-frequent. What do you want fast? And what do uh, households order frequently? Food, grocery, alcohol, pharmacy. All of these categories we want to become synonymous right. with Uber. Go anywhere, get anything you want, anytime. Uh, we've been talking all morning this last two days, really, and even the last several weeks now about China, uh, the Chinese market and what's happening over there. Uh, you still have a big stake in Didi, so I imagine you are watching this. What do you make of the crackdown that's happening by the government there? Well, we're watching as outsiders, and obviously we're big investors in right. Didi, so we have an interest. But it's pretty extraordinary. I think ultimately the real question is whether Didi becomes a vehicle of the Chinese government. Right. And to some extent, we uh, are competing against Didi. So I'm asking my team, are we competing against a private company or are we competing against the Chinese government? And we, we just don't know what that answer is. I think the bigger implication is Didi's operations outside of China. You know, will China have access to real-time location information from uh, uh, riders in Mexico and Brazil, et cetera? That's a really big question that has to be answered by Didi, by the Chinese government, and, and, and uh, how do you think about regulators. that stake itself, meaning keeping it, selling it down, potentially buying more? We don't, well, we're certainly not going to buy more. Okay. Uh, and the stake for us is not a strategic stake. Our business, our core business is strategic. So we look at that stake from a financial standpoint. When it makes sense to monetize that stake, we'll go ahead and monetize it. And what, 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 it, what would you be looking for given what's happening over there? Uh, right now, I have no idea what to look for. 
right? Right now we're watching and understanding what happens. We have a lockup anyway, so there isn't much that we can do. We're in no hurry because our path to profitability, we're running ahead of our path to profitability. We have a really strong balance sheet, and we have plenty of other investments as well. So we have time to be patient here, and I think a lot more is going right. to, many more shoes are going to drop here. Curious in terms of the pandemic itself, relationship with labor, obviously you're requiring masking of the passengers, the drivers. Where are you on vaccines and vaccine mandates at this point? Well, we're going to follow local government mandates, essentially. So we want to create the safest possible platform. Uh, in an Uber, you see a lot of uh, places, they say mask when you're indoors. It makes all the sense in the world to mask when you're in the car, uh, open up the windows you, as you're if going. If you were to require a vaccine mandate for your drivers today, what do you think would happen? Well, I think that the majority of our drivers are getting vaccinated anyway. But we deeply believe in the right for drivers, couriers to earn when they want to, how they want to, as long as they're safe. And we think that the safety protocols that we have uh, allow a safe environment and allow access to earnings opportunities, again, anytime, anyplace. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where there will be no masks in these cars and that maybe you, would you move to testing? I mean, we were talking also about this. Yes. And, and Becky and Joe and I were talking earlier just about if as a, if as a country we had decided actually just to test, like really aggressively test, instead of spending a trillion dollars, maybe we could have spent 50, 100 billion dollars and, and life could have gone on. Well, I think as a strategy as a company, we went all in on vaccines. Unfortunately, from a social aspect, we haven't gone all in as far as people, people's beliefs in vaccines. So I do think that our making a bigger bet in testing is something that we should absolutely do. The cost of testing here in the U.S. is far too high compared to Europe. So we would be very supportive of, you know, more testing all around business, personal, et cetera. When, when do, you, do, you, do you have a sense of when that's either something like that's going to happen or we're going to get to a place where it's going to totally change? I think that we will see increased momentum around testing. Right. But to call out timing is a fool's errand at this point. And, and then finally, when, when you think about this business, I asked you on the day of the IPO, when you, when you reach profitability, if we talk, call it three years from now, since I think we're about two, two and a half years from, from then, what does the business look like? Uh, it's a lot bigger. And for me, the important part of this business is sustainable profitability and compounding growth rates at the top line well over 20%. And I think that's the position that we're in. We're in a mobility business that's expanding into all forms of mobility on a global basis with very strong margins. And now we're proving each profitability, which is improving. The core business is going to hit profitability possibly in Q3. And at the same time, we're gaining share based on third-party data. We're the fastest-growing uh, delivery platform in the U.S. right now. Uh, that's a great combination to be able to grow, take share from your competitors, and sustain profitability long term. I think Becky's got a question for you. Bex? Yeah, Dara, it's great to see you today. Thanks for being here, and congratulations on this news. Just a quick question on Didi. We've been covering so much on the China crackdown on things. What, if anything, can you tell us about what you've seen there and, and, and what you're hearing, what you think about it? Well, obviously, the company is going through lots of change. Uh, we have understood that there might be a leadership change there. We don't know exactly what's happening, so it's difficult for me to speculate. We haven't seen any significant moves on the ground in markets where we can com uh, compete in a Brazil uh, or Mexico. Uh, if we do, we'll tell you and our investors, but at this point, it's a 
nothing has changed as it relates to the competitive environment. And then policy question for you. In places like New York, as you know, in terms of eats and some of the other things, there are, there are, there are regulators or politicians who want to regulate the price of these deliveries. Where, where do you think things stand right now? What are you concerned about and what aren't you concerned about? Well, we think it's um, entirely wrong for regulators to negotiate price between two businesses. Uh, the fact is that we have grown through the pandemic in partnership with our restaurant partners. Uh, restaurant partners who've engaged with Uber Eats have had a much higher chance of success, have grown their sales significantly. So I think this picture of us working against uh, some of these partners is entirely wrong. Uh, I think I'm proud of the work that we've done on the pandemic. And coming out of the pandemic, I think we'll continue to be excellent partners. But are you worried about what's happening in New York? For sure, I'm, I'm worried about it. And now the business can adjust, right? So we are at this point, for example, the cost of these commission caps is probably $30 million a quarter, which we're able to absorb in the business and we're able to grow the top line and improve profitability as well. Right. So from a business standpoint, we're, we're confident of what we're doing. But if this trend continues, it's going to result in higher prices to consumers, which all, always result in lower volumes to restaurant partners. We don't think that's a good answer. Okay. Derek Shahi, it's great to see you. And great congratulations. To see you. Nice to see you. And to, and, in and person. To bring it all together, yeah. exactly, in person all over again. Cheese will be next. Still to come on Squawk Pod, Martha Stewart is expanding her business and maybe our audience. Oh, my goodness, somebody's calling me. It's probably Richard Gere. He calls me every time I'm on television. Are you serious? Martha's supply chains and social calls right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. And Joe Bai. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Martha Stewart is expanding her direct-to-consumer business. She joins us right now with the details. Martha, of course, is the founder of Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia. And, and Martha, I, I can't wait to hear more about this because you are somebody who has transformed and grown over the years and kind of followed the consumer to where they are. We've had you on to talk about your partnerships with companies like like a Macy's or Canopy CBD. But this is really about you having all of your own brand under one roof, right? Yes, finally, finally. It's a, a very exciting moment because what I've done is accumulate all the things that I've designed that we have curated and that we have partnered with uh, different manufacturers uh, to bring them uh, all in one place, martha.com. So it'll be a nice uh, experience for the shopper because you will not only be able to buy, but you'll be able to learn. We have 
so many thousands of hours of beautiful video that we have uh, preserved uh, showing how to cook. We have wonderful, wonderful ideas for the homemaker, the gardener, the entertainer. Uh, so all of this will be on our website in one nice place. You'll be able to pay by PayPal or Amazon uh, Pay and uh, your credit card, of course. Uh, and uh, you will be able to get really good value. This is what I've always done in, with my business. I've tried to provide not only great beauty and utility and and um, and usefulness, but good value. So, for example, we have this. Um, I, I didn't have it in front of me, but we have the Dutch oven. There's been a <laughs> lot of play on the Dutch oven, the enamel cast iron. Um, this one is $99 for the highest quality manufacturer. And, um, and you can buy it for $99. You can also buy one that's similar from an older company for $369. Which would you rather have? $99. Yep, of course. But it's good quality. It will last you forever. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to add beautiful design and beautiful colors for your home. Uh, we're also uh, creating um, new new branded ideas with Baccarat, for example. Baccarat has never put a person's name on a product before. This is the Martha Rita glass for Baccarat. Uh, they have been, oh, my goodness, somebody's calling me. It's probably Richard Gere. He calls me every time I'm on television. Can you Wait imagine? a second. Are you serious? Richard yes. Gere calls you every time you're on television. We're neighbors, and he and he's always calling me to ask me about something, and and he loves interrupting. You know, when I'm on on the news or something like. Hi, that. Richard. So I'm not going to answer. Okay. Um, here is the Martharita glass. It is beautiful baccarat crystal. It's a, a large glass. Um, they are trying to. They're trying to you know, attract the younger millennial customer. And this is the way to really induce the younger customer who doesn't want a little skimpy wine glass for a margarita. They want a big glass. That's not cheap. Those come two for $450, right? I was looking through the offerings. Wedding present. Can you imagine an engagement present, a wedding present? And then you build your collection around it. And you should be using beautiful crystal. I think it makes the drink taste better. Well, Martha, we, we have talked to you over the years about all these partnerships. This is not ending any of your partnerships. This is taking those partnerships and, and bringing them all under one house. So this is not like uh, cutting them out of the deal on any of these oh, things. No, not at all. You can still go to Macy's.com and buy my fabulous bedding and, and kitchen wares and, uh, and uh, all the other, other wonderful partnerships that we have. We have um, a delicious new food coming out too, which will not be on the website because it's frozen food available in the supermarkets, but it's highest quality uh, frozen foods, uh, frozen entrees, appetizers, desserts, We've already won some uh, some very nice awards with our with our foodstuffs, and they're available in more than uh, four thousand different uh, grocery stores right now, and and growing exponentially. I'm very excited about that. So, uh, and they're using our recipes, um, and they are very delicious. I, I was thinking about you this week, um, even before I knew about this deal, because we we talked about um, Sears, the the last Sears store closing. And you didn't have a partnership with Sears, but you had a partnership yes, with did. Kmart. Did. Oh, you did with Sears, too. But I was thinking of the Kmart, which is all under one house. We sold hundreds of millions of dollars of paint at Sears. You know, beautiful colors, the Martha colors. And I was so sorry to see Sears, which was, just think, Sears could have been the Amazon, right? Right. They had their catalog. They had, they had everything. They just didn't have the internet. And, uh, and what a shame, because that was... 
I, I love pouring over the pages of that Sears catalog. It was just like, Me like magic. Me too. <laughs> you know, it, it was something that was always in our household growing up. But I, I, it made me start thinking about you and, and the partnership with Kmart, too, and just how your brand has gone one direction. Their stores have gone another. What is it that you know that that maybe some old line retailers have had trouble figuring out? Well, what they didn't figure out was what Amazon did figure out and what other, you know, other up and coming younger retailers did figure out that online shopping is here to stay, that people want the convenience of sitting at their desk in their kitchen on their trusted little phone uh, and they can just order and have it delivered directly to one's home. That's the whole idea. And uh, and I think that that is uh, where they went wrong. Um, and it's uh, it's a shame, but you know what? This is the way. This is the modern way. And I have tried to keep up with technology as carefully as I could possibly. We're just starting to do our TikToks. I can't wait for my TikToks to to appear. <laughs> Um, and we already have a huge audience uh, on TikTok without even posting anything. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, we are, um, you know, we're trying to build, keep building our audience uh, in as, as positive a way as possible. We have a Halloween special coming out on Peacock, your lovely new streaming service uh, with Snoop Dogg. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> His Olympics coverage was unbelievable. I loved it. Oh, wasn't it fabulous? Yeah. Oh, I loved it so much. And uh, can I say one thing to uh, Mr. Sorkin? Of course. He's keeping me awake. He's keeping me awake at night. That new billions, billions. is so fabulous. <laughs> oh, thank you. I can't. I'm just a proud pop. I can't claim credit, but I, I'm glad you like it. Oh, it's so great. Tell tell the boys. I just adore it. Martha, let me ask you about the issues we keep hearing just in terms of procurement and supply chain issues. Is that something that, that you've run into trouble with, with your brands? Or it, it, what, what should you be telling people about holiday shopping right now? Well, pre-order. I would pre-order. We have deliveries promised, hmm, promised, but we are uh, we are on top of it as much as we can be. And so, for example, you can pre-order the down vest, this beautiful puffer vest that that I've um, that I've popularized so much. I call it the new sweater. Comes in many beautiful colors. We even have a, a holiday one with a faux fur collar that is really beautiful. Great, great, affordable present for every member, every female member in your family. But uh, but pre-order, we're taking pre-orders on a lot of our stuff, uh, and especially in our Christmas things too. All our decorations, our our beautiful pre-lit trees that are coming, and ornaments. Uh, all of those things um, are, you know, they are a problem because of uh, the supply chain. And I think that that supply chain is, it's kind of weird, don't you think? Yeah, it's Who's been persistent. It? Who is picking it all up? Who? Just think back in history, the last four years, somebody's getting back. Yeah, um, it, it, it has been a problem. Is it going to cut into margins, do you think, for the retailers, just in terms of what they have to pay to make sure the stuff gets there on time? Um, well, we're not we're not air shipping a lot of stuff in because it's way way too expensive. We're we're trying to be patient as as are most people, uh, most retailers. Um, but let's let's uh, let's hope that uh, it gets straightened out quickly. Well, we appreciate your time today, showing off some of these wares, and uh, it, it's good talking to you. Good to see you. Very nice to see you too. Okay, take care. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear or have some suggestions, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or send us a tweet. We're on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.